It is fantastic when we come together and we enjoy our worship times together of, of King Jesus. And today we're looking at John chapter 11. We're not going to read all of it because it's a very, very long story of the raising of Lazarus. And even in that title, it gives, it gives away the punchline, doesn't it? We know where the story is heading with the feed, uh, raising, of, the feeding and the raising of Lazarus. I'll just bring all the miracles together. So, Lazarus was hungry. Lazarus was blind. Lazarus was dead. And he was lame. And he was called out of the tomb. Glow, let's bring them all together this morning. But it is the seventh of seven signs in John. And it gives rise to the fifth of the I am sayings. But in this seventh sign, it, Jesus brings life out of death. And I have practiced getting that the right way round. Because in the moment, it was so easy to get these things mixed up. But the first sign is Jesus turning water into wine. He brings wa- uh, wine out of water. And here, Jesus, you know what he does, so I don't need repeat it. But as we look at these signs, Jesus reveals his glory. And that is the one and only thing we have to home in on. How Jesus reveals his glory as he performs these miracles. That is the purpose of the miracle. Jesus revealing his glory. It's all about him. So I want to read through certain passages from John chapter 11. Nothing will appear on the screen. So if you... (laughs) Because I want us just to enter into the text ourselves. I think it's very lazy when people put the text up on the screen. I think it, it saves you from looking at your Bible or your phone. It robs you of an opportunity to play a game on your phone when everybody thinks you're reading a scripture. But, but, we're, <laughs> but we're looking at John chapter 11, starting to read verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. The one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for the God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Down to verse 17. Because there are many layers to this story we haven't got time to look at. Verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Turning over, in my Bible, verse 38. You got verse 38, Richard? Yeah. Yeah, good. Once more, deeply moved, Jesus came to the tomb. 
It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away this stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice. What did he call? Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. What an incredible story. What an amazing sign for uh, us to conclude this series of Jesus calling forth life out of death. And I want us to look at this story, and I want us to look at what Jesus did, how people responded, and end with what Jesus said. So I'm not going through the story in sequence. But the first, to begin by looking at what Jesus did, which would really upset the majority of us if we had been in that story. Because what Jesus does, he doesn't rush off to heal Lazarus. Verse 3 of John 11 says, The sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. They're seeking out their friend because they want Lazarus to be healed. They have this vision that Lazarus needs that touch of Jesus to bring him through to health. And from their point of view, you know, it's not an unreasonable request. They had seen Jesus perform miracle after miracle. So what's the problem with Jesus coming back and healing their their brother who is ill? But what do we read in verse 6? When he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there for two more days. And this, if I had been in the story, would have caused me real, real problems. Because I would have wanted Jesus to get onto the nearest mode of transport and head back to the village so he could perform the miracle that I had expected him to perform. He gets there. Lazarus has been dead for four days. And when it is said, you know, there'll there'll be a smell. There's one version which says, Jesus, but Lazarus will be stinking by now. And I think that gives us an idea of just what sort of condition Lazarus would be in in a warm climate after four days and Lazarus comes to the tomb. I would have struggled with that delay where Lazarus moves from life into death. Where he moves from being ill into the tomb. That would have caused me real issues. And I believe that this story has much to tell us about our prayer life. How we approach our prayer life. And how Jesus approaches answering our prayers. It's a two-winged thing. You see, when I'm praying about anything, I have two things in mind. One is how Jesus should answer. And 
you might be in a similar position. There is a need, whatever it is, whether it's in health, wealth, or whatever. And as we pray, we sort of start to work out how we would like Jesus to answer that particular prayer. And we can spend a lot of emotional energy just working out, going through the various scenarios, starting with the one we prefer, because what we reckon, what we prefer is the right way. It's how God should answer. And so I would have had a very clear idea of how Jesus should have answered this need to come and heal my brother who was sick. But the second thing that I have in mind in prayer is not just how Jesus should do it and give yourself a lot of time and effort working that out, but when Jesus should answer. And that is a very, very simple question for me, because when praying, Jesus should answer, now. (laughs) On a good day, possibly give him 24 hours in order to respond to my prayer. Waiting two or three days like Martha and Mary. Waiting... Two, three, four days for Jesus to return. To watch your brother slip from this life into death. What is Jesus playing at? And you know, the reality is very often we go through that journey of wondering what on earth is God up to? I have laid before him my prayer request. Why is there this delay? And I believe that in that delay, something precious is happening. Not necessarily easy for us to go through, but something precious. Because the the journey between the prayer request and the answer is where faith and relationship with Jesus exist. That is the walk of faith between making the request and seeing the fulfillment of the request. That is where faith exists lives and every one of us has had that experience and we need to recognize what's going on in that gap between the request and the answer that we're learning more about Jesus we're learning more about relationship and I prefer to use the word relationship in this story rather than faith because faith implies we have faith for this to happen that to happen. relationship means that ongoing relationship of knowing the master and so within that walk of faith relationship continues if we look at Mary and Martha they were absolutely thoroughly confused by the whole thing there is misunderstanding after misunderstanding if you had been here you could have saved him from death oh but he's going to rise oh well I mean he'll rise on the last and look just look at the different levels of understanding and the misunderstandings within the story and I think that gives us great hope because all of us go through various stages in our life where we just don't get it. We misunderstand what God is doing and saying to us. But the important thing is that even though we might under- misunderstand, even though Mary and Martha at times were just completely clueless, as were the disciples, relationship continues. And the thing Jesus wants with us more than anything is to see us investing in our relationship with him, regardless of what is going on. 
You know, Mary and Martha could have decided they weren't going to speak to Jesus anymore. So when Jesus turns up at the village, they move out because he's upset them. Because he hasn't answered according to their preconceived ideas. He hasn't healed a sick man. But we see here, there is that ongoing relationship between Mary, Martha, and Jesus, which withstands everything that circumstances had thrown against them. That is where Jesus wants us to be. In that place where no matter what circumstances are, we will press in to our relationship with him. Now you don't have to be very old for you to face circumstances not of your choosing. Do you? It's just one of those things. Most of us within this room have faced circumstances we did not volunteer for. We did not choose. They were happening out there beyond our control. As were Mary and Martha. Outside of their control, all they could do is invite the master to come in. And he didn't do what they wanted to do. But relationship was there. Do you know the thing Jesus wants you to invest in? Is relationship. Out of which faith grows. You say, I don't think faith is... So we... We sometimes can give the impression that faith for something is where we get in a darkened room, screw up our eyes, get very intense about it, and think, I am now going to conjure up faith. And it simply doesn't work. Faith comes out of knowing Jesus. Faith comes out. Faith will increase as we deepen our relationship with him. That has to be our number one priority. One of our youth just a few weeks ago came and said, can you tell me how do I increase my faith? You know, and this is at the end of a morning meeting, you think all I want to do is go home. <laughs> you get like that. And they came and said, how, can you tell me how to increase my faith? And in that moment, I just thought, Relationship. If someone says to you, how do you increase faith? Just say, build your relationship. It's easy. And how we build relationship? By getting to know the person better. So within this story, there's confusion, there's misunderstanding. But the one thing that is constant is relationship. That is the priority for us. So what Jesus did was delay which would be difficult to deal with in the story. But how people responded also throws light on the human condition. This story of the raising of Lazarus really does expose the depth of sin within the human heart. Not Mary and Martha, but those around. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Well, God does. So we read, as Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, there will be those who saw his glory and came to faith. But there is the majority, and we need to recognize it, the majority of people did not come to faith because there is a movement from that point to kill Jesus. From In John 12, 53, it says, from that day, in other words, from the day of Lazarus being raised, there is a plot to kill Jesus. They want to remove the Son of God because he's becoming too popular. He threatens the position. 
of the religious elite. But what I find interesting in this story is, not only do they want to kill Jesus, but they want to kill Lazarus, who has already been raised from the dead once. Now I find this absolutely crazy. You know, they simply haven't learned their lesson. In John 12, verse 9 says, A large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there in the vicinity and came. They came to see Lazarus as well, whom he'd raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus because on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus believing in him. So let's kill the evidence. Let's kill this man who walked out of the tomb and there's no clue in their head. If Jesus did it once, he could do it again. And yet there's something in you think, oh, I wish it had. <laughs> oh, yes. You know, and you see sort of Lazarus in and out, in and out of this, the, the tomb. They kill him. In you go, Lazarus. Cause, because funerals were held within 24 hours, you know, very, very quick. And so poor Lazarus, ah, oh, here we go again, in the back. Jesus declared, come forth, Lazarus. All right, I'm coming. And he would get to the point where Lazarus said, don't bother with the grave clothes. I'm coming out anyway. But the human heart wants to kill off the evidence that Jesus ever existed. The human heart wants to kill off any evidence that we have, that we testify to, that Jesus is alive. We glory in the testimonies this morning. Fantastic to hear the testimonies. But we need to recognize the greatest miracle of all will not necessarily move the human heart to repentance. And that's a reality, folks. The greatest miracle of all, as in raising Lazarus from the dead up to this time to be followed by a greater miracle on Easter Day. But I'm going to keep that one a secret. <laughs> Sally's preaching on Easter Day. And I, I'll, I'll let you into a secret. We asked Sally to preach on Easter Day and we did not give her a topic. <laughs> she's obviously prophetic. We thought she's so prophetic, she'll sort it out. But as we come together, we come together as a people of relationship with Jesus and with one another. And we need to recognize, no matter what God does in and through us, there's a world out there whose hearts are deceitful above all things, and they will seek to turn their back. But we should not be discouraged by that. We should recognize that as a reality in which we live and gain strength out of our relationship with Jesus. When we look at what Jesus did, how the people responded, we come to what Jesus said. And this is really where I want to end this morning. Because this story, this miracle gives rise to one of the most amazing pronouncements of Jesus one of the most powerful promises of Jesus that is real and relevant to every follower of him. But before we get to that, let's just consider Lazarus. Jesus goes to the tomb, calls Lazarus forth, tells the people to undo the grave clothes. But the incredible thing, when you read through this story, not one word from the lips of Lazarus is recorded. It's just gone. You've got Mary, you've got Martha, you've got Jesus, you've got the disciples, you've got the enemies of Jesus. It's almost like you've got everyone else but Lazarus. And you think that, that is amazing. No words 
are recorded. And then I began to think of the, the different uh, cultures represented here within our community and how we might respond if we had been in Lazarus' place, what our first words might have been being called from the tomb. Now within our MCOM, we have many nations represented. And I'm going to pick on Peter. Uh, hello, Peter. And just imagine that in a Ghanaian context, we also have a sister from Sierra Leone, in a Sierra Leonean context. Nigeria is represented. Where are our brothers and sisters from Nigeria? Hey! You know, if we look at that context, Lazarus would have been coming out of the tomb within that community and he would have been waving his arms. He would have been shouting, Hallelujah! Glory to God! Because Peter does that without coming out of the tomb. I mean, you know, it's great to get Peter. Get Peter in a prayer meeting. We live in a detached house. Glory to God. So the first thing, if you want to invite Peter to a prayer meeting, make sure the house is detached. Or put him in the garden. That would work. But you know, there's this sense of, there would be this incredible joy, this incredible outburst of praise. If we had other cultures represented. What would it have been if that had been set within an English culture? You know, you just use your imagination. And it would not have been what our brother Peter would have exclaimed. It would have been that he would have come out of the tomb and said, How do you do? (laughs) Or he would have come out of the tomb and said, Oh, it's a bit warm out here. (laughs) The British obsession with the weather. (laughs) Or he might have come out of the tomb and of course what we do, we are gifted in complaining, aren't we? We have this gift of complaining. We would have come out of the tomb and berated Jesus. Jesus, I've been four days in that tomb. I should have only been in, ever in at all. Why didn't you? And you can imagine. But nothing of this is recorded. And I began to wonder, why is nothing recorded? And I, and I come to this conclusion. And on this, I'm going to apply for a doctorate in, in divinity from Durham University. And if, if you've got faith for that... You've got a long wait. Do you know, if Lazarus had come from the come forth from the tomb and uttered anything, anything, it would have been turned into a full-blown theology and would have distracted from Jesus himself. People would have honed in on what Lazarus said and forgotten it is the Jesus, the Son of God, who declared, Lazarus, come forth. And this story, because there's nothing from the lips of Lazarus, directs us to look at Jesus himself, which is what the story is all about. But we would have got distracted. We would have spent hours discussing what Lazarus meant. It's not there. Praise God it isn't there, because we can concentrate on Jesus himself. And now we come to what is one of the most powerful portions and promises of Scripture anywhere to be found. Where you will have heard these words read again and again 
at the passing of a loved one. Where you'll have heard them and perhaps they just wash over you because they have become so familiar. But the reality is, as we look at these words, they contain the profound guaranteed promise of Jesus that those who follow him, those who have a relationship with him, will never die. The tomb is not our home. We are not destined to rot in the ground. We are not destined to be smoke in the air. We are destined to an eternity with Jesus because Jesus, the Son of God, who was raised from the dead, has gone before us. Jenny, put the verse up, please. And this, as you know, is the verse. Jesus turns us in. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Whoever believe, who lives believing in me will never die. And he ends by asking the question, do you believe this? Let's stand together. Let's just stand. Because I want us to declare this verse together. I want us to declare this truth of scripture over ourselves. And I want you to ask that question at the end. Do you believe this? Do you truly deep down in your heart believe that your future rests in the hands of Jesus in eternity and not in a hole in the ground? Oh, it's great. We have three believers in the room. Not bad at all. Folks, we are a people of resurrection. If the resurrection had not happened, we would not be here. If the resurrection had not happened, there is no guarantee of where we will spend eternity. But we would be lost floundering around in in a world of hope and wishful thinking. Jesus does not want us to live in that place of hope and just wishful thinking. He wants us to live in that place of a deep certainty. That because Jesus has gone before, because Jesus has prepared a place, my eternal destiny is guaranteed. Oh, glory! I tell you, can we have the musicians back, please? But as the musicians come back, I want us to declare this truth of Scripture together. This, I am, most powerful statement of Jesus. So can we read this together? Are we ready? On a count of six. One, two, three. Let's read. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me live, even though they die. And whoever believes in me will die. Do you believe this? Turn to the person next to you and say, do you believe this? Do you believe this? I do, yes. You are allowed to answer. Yes, I believe. (laughs) Folks, we are people of resurrection. But I believe there's another level to this which God wants to highlight within this community. I believe there are people here he wants to release from the tomb of circumstances. You have been shrouded, you've been wrapped around by circumstances and it's as if you're in that black hole, that dark place. Jesus this morning would say to you, come forth 
Come out of that dark place. Come into the light that I have got for you. And have that assurance that I am with you and have your life in the palm of my hand. Because nothing you are going through is going to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Your circumstances do not mean Jesus has abandoned you. It's that walk of relationship. It's that walk of faith. And he's saying, in that gap between the prayer and the answer, come and let's hold hands together. Let's walk together, hand in hand in hand, facing these issues together. And we have the promise. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. You know, folks, we need to get on with each other on this world, in this world. Because we've got a very long time in eternity. And you know when you're in eternity, this morning, many of you have been able to choose who you're sitting beside. And then there are husband and wives who have got no choice at all. In heaven, we do not have the choice of who's living next door. So you might have someone very noisy. (laughs) Hello. Oh, couldn't possibly. Or you have someone... You have someone even noisier. Yeah. And you know, there is no, there is no rest or sleep in heaven, which is just well because glory to God. God, I believe, wants to shake us out of our worship culture and take us into something new. Something refreshing. I'm not hyping up anything. I just believe this is where God has taken us as Emmanuel. And what we have today is a wonderful, wonderful time, a wonderful expression of worship. But there is a a level God wants us to take, and we need one another in order to get there. He wants us to be out of the ordinary and into the extraordinary in our praise and worship. He does not want us to live in that dark place or even that twilight place where we're living in half-heartedness, where we're living in... Which is so easy to get into. He wants us to live in that place of that vibrant relationship with Him. Where as we come together, there is that incredible explosion of praise and gratitude and glory. Because Jesus has overcome sin and death. Our sin is dealt with. Our death has been overcome. And as we trust in Him, we will live forever. Amen. Paul says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So what Paul is saying here is, you are a people of hope. Circumstances might be dire, but you have a hope because Jesus has overcome. You have a hope because Jesus has gone before. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. 
For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Those generations, 2,000 years of believers and before, will rise in Christ because there will be that trumpet call of God. And God will declare all the world, come forth, come forth out of the tomb and live with me for eternity. Those who are dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And as this version says, so we will party forever. (laughs) That is the promise of God. That is a deep assurance of God. We should be a people of resurrection celebration. I've been in many a congregation down through the years where the words of Jesus to Lazarus were the words that needed to be spoken to the congregation. Dead in the tomb for many years. We don't want to be there. We want to be that people celebrating the overcoming resurrection of Jesus.